Yo, 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 Just Chats, back at it again with another episode with a person who I'm very excited to chat to. I've done some some training with this lady a fair while ago, but um, she just amazes me with just, there's, I've, do you know, I still say aces in their places. I love it. Anyway, guest, who are you? Tell us a bit about yourself. Well, hello, Mo. Um, well, you remember my training, so I must have had a bit of an influence on you. <laughs> my name is Di, and I own Di Monty Training Solutions here in Mount Gambia. Awesome, awesome. All right, we'll just get straight into it. Tell us about your family life and uh, growing up uh, as a child. Sure. Well, I'm a Gen Xer, for those of you that understand generational labels. Um, my parent, parents have been married 60 years, and they're both um, still with us, live and well, which is bloody awesome. I have two siblings, an older brother, uh, older sister and a younger brother. Uh, I can still visit my family home, which is very important to me, which is uh, done on a regular basis. So I grew up my formative years here in Mount Gambier and then got to the ripe old age of about 19 and decided that Mount Gambier was just way too small for me. Yep, yep. Okay, so tell us about, uh, like, as a kid, what, what are some memories you remember as a kid, like with your family especially? Is there anything that really stands out? Yeah, look, my uh, my dad was the single income for our family. So my mum stayed home with us at, and was there when we got home from school. So it was really good to have that uh, that nucleus there. We lived in a neighbourhood where there were lots of paddocks initially, but as our childhood got older, that more and more houses came along. So with that came lots of other young kids as well. And I quickly realised that uh, my mum wanted to spend lots of time with my older sister and it just naturally happened that my dad was spending time with his son and I was the middle child and I was like, wow, who am I going to spend time with? Well, it was the local neighbourhood. So I, um, yeah, I spent a lot of time out playing and building things with uh, the local kids around uh, my neighbourhood and which really um, taught me a lot of skills. There was lots of boys. I was a real tomboy mm-hmm. back then. Um, I probably, some would probably say I still am, but, um, yeah, being a tomboy back in the 60s was, uh, yeah, you were sort of, it was a bit different then. You were, it was very stereotyped and so on, but, um, yeah, I was. I had a really good childhood. We, we went for family holidays. We... Um, we had lots of good uh, connections with our families and and friends of families who I still have contact with today, which is pretty special because we're all getting older. But yeah, life was good as a, as growing up. I um, was very lucky with my dad working, and we uh, we I didn't feel like I went without from anything, even though we only had the one family at uh, one income. So it was um, yeah that normal sibling rivalry. I had to share a bedroom with my sister. We got to the point where we had a line on the floor, can't cross <laughs> this line. She loved the Bay City Rollers. I loved the suite. Um, yeah, crazy. My brother had his own bedroom all to himself that I didn't think was cool, but, yeah, it was uh, it was good fun. Yeah, very, very, very good childhood. Do you – so how you said that um, your parents almost went for your older sister and your older brother to spend time with them, did you initially find that as unfair? Well, it was – I just thought, well, maybe I'll have to go find somebody. I had a very close relationship with my nana, my mum's mum, so I spent a lot of time with her. Um, but, yeah, it was just, I don't know, it was, I had nothing really else to compare it with. So it was, um, 
I just thought that's the way it was. You know, if there was only two parents and there was three kids, one kid had to miss out. Okay. Um, yeah. So. Wow, wow. All right. Okay, so what did you want to be when you were growing up? I desperately wanted to be a photographer for National Geographic. That's a really cool, inspiring thing to be. And what happened? Why aren't you a photographer? Well, I um, back then there was only one place that you could actually learn to be a photographer and that was at um, Sydney University. As I mentioned before, we were all one-income family, so my mum and dad couldn't afford to send me away to university. So I, um, what my dad did do was have a bit of a compromise and he helped build me a dark room underneath our house. So we, um, we worked really hard to get that set up and then what I did was I did all the babysitting jobs I could possibly do, cutting people's lawns, doing all those entrepreneurial things way back as a young teenager so I could earn as much pocket money as I could so I could buy my own camera. Then I, once I got my camera, I used to go out and take photographs and then come back and develop them in my own dark room. That is sick. That's so cool. So I entered some competitions, and you've got to remember, this is with an SLR. So this was with 35mm film. Um, my original camera was an old Petri camera, and it, uh, it did me so proud. You'd, uh, back then, you had to, if you took any films, you had to take them to your local chemist, and it used to take about two weeks for them to come back yeah. in a small-sized printed paper, and then you'd realise that you weren't such a good photographer after all. Of course, these days you take photos on your phone and you can delete or take as many as you want. But I realised I wanted a much better camera, so uh, I was a critic fanatic and I used to spend my summer holidays um, watching as much cricket as I possibly could. I never actually played cricket, but I just loved watching the game of cricket and I still do um, these days myself. But um, my mum came in one day and said, you cannot think about spending another summer watching cricket. You better get out and get yourself a job. So I did. And um, I started at that job and ended up staying there for 22 years. I've got to ask. So I have also dabbed into the world of film photography. Did you ever get the heartbreak of either the film, like a light bleed happening to hit or you develop something and something just went wrong and you'd end up with a blank roll of film? Yes, very much so. I, I loved experimenting, so I was able to get a hold of an old box brownie, which was really cool. Um, I also grabbed a old Milo tin and put a sheet of um, photographic paper in there, had to put a very small hole in the tin on the facing side and covered over and then went outside and exposed an image directly through that and then went inside and developed it. So that was pretty cool. That's called awesome. camera obscura, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It was yeah, it was just fun doing stuff that wasn't what other kids could do. And I just really enjoyed that innovative uh, artistic side of things. That's super cool also that you did your dad help you develop the film or was that here you go sort of thing? No, he, he gave me the, the room and he helped me with setting up my own light trap and, and all those other bits and pieces that you need to have. The room was quite big. It was as big as my bedroom because so, it was direct, directly underneath our – because the house was like a terrace house. So yep. it was 
he he dug it out for a storage room, but then um, then you know a few conversations with his uh, with his daughter, and we I convinced him that it would be really good move for us to have it as a dark room. That's insane. That's so cool. <laughs> All right, let's go to school. How how was your schooling experience? Start with primary school. Primary school, I went to Reedy Park. And oh, for real? Yes. Yeah. So that was cool. It was very close to home. We used to walk to school every day, which was cool. Initially, you walked with your siblings, but as you got older, you always sort of didn't. You just ended up walking on your own or um, walking with your friends and so on. School was really cool. I had uh, amazing teachers. I've had amazing teachers throughout my primary school and also my um, high school. And I think that's what made my time at school so mem- such a memorable experience because I really did have good relationships with the teachers that I had. I had two teachers for grade six, seven and year eight. They actually followed me onto high school, maybe to make sure I left primary school, I'm not sure, but that was interesting and made lots of, made lots of lifelong friends. That's what happens with, you know, the, the friends that you make at primary school and high school, if you can hold on to them as you're getting older, they're with you for uh, for the rest of your life. So lots of really cool um, cool friends. And, you know, Mount Gambia High School back then was quite innovative with uh, the different types of subjects that allowed you to explore your creativity. So that's, you know, we were able to do woodwork and metalwork and, and photography Home ec wasn't my thing, you know, sitting in front of a sewing machine. It just just didn't float my boat. Uh, neither did the cooking classes, but, yeah, everything else. The science, the science was good, physics. I didn't have good grades in those two subjects, but I did enjoy them. I remember visiting the Mount Gambier High School uh, for the first time after leaving it only back in 2017, and I walked past what was the chemistry room, and in my head goes, Heli Burp Canov, Nina Miguel, Sips Class Clarker, and it's like forty years since I've been to that school, and and it was just freaky because we made a song out of the the elements of the periodic table, so we'd remember, remember them. Yep. So yep. Uh, it was just amazing how it comes in. So what topics did you excel at, or what? what apart, apart from the, you know, you said you enjoyed your sciences and your physics, but you didn't think you went fantastic. What were you good at? Drama. Yep. Yeah. I can see that. <laughs> I was a bit of a yeah. We did lots of plays and stuff, and I, I've always enjoyed kind of entertaining people. I've always enjoyed being that centre of attention. I think because I don't know, I, can't, I don't want to drill down to anything dark or anything like. But I just love being around people. I don't enjoy being on my own. So getting involved in um, playing lots of sports at school, and also you know any of the clubs that were around. That was good fun to do as well, just meeting people and just helping out. So you said you had aspirations of obviously going to Sydney to be go do uni uh, at the photography school, but that you couldn't do to financial reasons. Did you end up going to uni ever? No. No? Nope. And do you, do you reckon it's important to go? Look, I think uh, it's a great question that you've got here. And, and I think uh, from my perspective, I don't believe that uh, uni is what it's cracked up to be. Uh Look, and that's just my own personal view. I totally have total respect for the people that have committed to go on to further study and, and you know, doing that theory. But from my personal perspective and what has worked really for me is that practical learning on job, really getting things, uh, rolling up your sleeves and learning and, and perhaps graduating from the University of Hart Knox, which mm. I would say is called life. 
and uh, yeah, so I uh, there are you know people that love that studying and that that type of learning, but no, I you know there's I guess lots of people that are in t- sit sit in the two different camps, you know, but there's plenty of successful people that didn't even pass high school and, and have made it. So I, I don't want people thinking that you have to go to university to be a success. There are just so many other success stories that debunk that myth mm. or fact, whatever you want to look at it. But, yeah, I, I personally believe very much in the practical learning and uh, would shy away from university quite a lot. It was interesting. I had a lunch with one of my mentors this week and I was talking about, you know, university and what's been happening of late and, and he, he used to be the, the dean of the university here in Mount Gambier and he just said to me, he goes, what you've been through from a business perspective is is would far exceed anything that goes on at a university level. So he said, don't be too hung up about it and I just that just re- reaffirmed my thinking as to why, you know, it's just not my cup of tea. I 100% agree now after going through uni. I wish... In high school, there was, apart from, you know, you do your work experience and stuff like that, but even then, that what happens day to day as a teacher is nothing I learned about at uni. And if you're a doctor or any sort of like a lawyer or anything like that, it's just not, like I've seen people go through uni and like think this is what they want to do and then they get on the job and they last three, four months. Mm-hmm. And it's like they've now got thousands of dollars of debt. And that's a big thing. Like people forget that in the 70s and 80s, um, you know, they had opportunity for free university. So that was why lots of people went through it. I would hate to embark on a university career at the moment and knowing full well that you're going to have that massive hex debt, uh, completing four or five years of study and then getting out into the world and realising it's not really what you want to do. I've always said right from my very working early working days, find what you love and love what you do and you just won't ever work a day in your life. And I know many other people use that phrase as well, but it is so true. Mm-hmm. It's about if you can if you can, if you've got a if you've got a hobby and you love doing that hobby and you can actually make money out of doing that hobby, well then I think that's the best job in the world. Hundred percent, hundred percent. All right. So after you, so you, you finished high school, yeah? Yeah. What did you do after high school? Well, when I um, finished, well, I didn't go back and finish year twelve because I went out and got that job that my mother said I had to get, and um, so I was offered for a full time position. I was initially started off um, at the end of year eleven doing a casual position, and I was all set to go back to do year twelve or matric back then. That's what it was called. Um, but I was offered full-time position with my employer and I thought, man, I want money. I need money. Uh, so I uh, went first day of school for year 12 and went there to say I'm not coming back. I've got full-time work. So I, uh, I worked my butt off that year to save as much money as I could and all of my friends who I would have been doing year 12 with partied so hard because it was like the rite of passage back then that you partied really hard as a year 12 student, all of them failed. So they all went back and repeated a second year. So that by the time they finished year 12, and I have no doubt that I would have done the same yeah. uh, because they would have uh, yeah dragged me into it or I would have dragged them into it. Birds of a feather, yeah. Birds of a feather stick together. Yeah. So uh, I, I'd had two years of work by the time they'd finished their schooling. So I'd saved up enough money to, uh, to go overseas travelling. Oh, wow. That's so, so cool. That's that life experience stuff that you get to do, which is um, which is cool. So I got to spend three months over in the US. 
That's sick. So 22 years of doing what you did, and what do you do now? Well, as I mentioned in my intro, I own Diamante Training Solutions. It's a business that I started back in 2008. At the time, I had a business partner. His name was Martin Montgomery. Everybody knew him and called him as Monty, hence the name Diamante. It's quite interesting. So many people think my surname's Monty, but it's not. It's Ind. And um, so, yeah, it's a business that I started from scratch with his help. We worked, we'd already worked together for four years and then um, he worked together for another three years. So, um, yeah, he, after that he decided to take a step away and I thought, no, I really enjoy what I'm doing here and, and uh, continued on and here we are all of a sudden 13 years later and we're rocking it, which is good, and now I've got a team of four incredible staff that uh, help and support me and I've brought them all into the um, to the industry with that they haven't been exposed to before and now they're you know all experts in their own area and yeah it's it's been it's been a, lots of highs there've been a few lows like last year was really tough and I'm sure you'll ask about that but uh, yeah yeah but yeah I'm very happy with where we're at from a business perspective and what we're able to do within the community, which is uh, which is really exciting. Awesome. Is there one thing that you wish you had known before you started uh, operating or being the, the, the owner of Diamonte? Is there a piece of advice or something that you wish you knew would happen? Um, yeah. One thing that I learned very early in the piece and something that I would always recommend um, any person in, who is in their own business is every single day check your bank account. Every single day, the first thing I do when I come into my office after I've turned everything on is I jump onto my internet banking and see how much money I've got to play with because cash is king. And last year, it was really tough when the, the cash flow just stopped. And so, yeah, it was something that I learned very, very early and I continue to do it every single day. Wow. So why why do, why do you hold that in such important? Is it just so you can? Well, you could have the best business in the world, or the best products, or the best service, but if you don't have regular money coming in and lots of money going out, you're not going to be in business for very long whatsoever. So, it is important that you know where you're at, what money you've got to go out, and what money you've got to come in, and 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 make decisions accordingly. Mm-hmm. Do you have anyone to help you do your finances, or is that all? Done yeah, by no, you? I've I got a really good accountant that um, I have a great relationship with since we started the business and and I use uh, one of my staff members as well to uh, to make sure that we stay on top of things so yeah really really important as you can have the best business in the world but if you don't keep a track of your finances that's why I loved uh, when uh, the GST came in back in 2000 if you're if you're old enough to remember that <laughs> it well it forced people to look at their business every three months rather than working really hard for 12 months taking all their receipts to their accountant at the end of the financial year and then coming back and saying actually you haven't made any money so mm. now it's really improved things for us and uh, for every every small business so that's uh, that's what's really important are there any resources that have helped you along the way Yes, um, the the main resources have been, uh, first of all, my parents. They taught me a lot. They taught me importance of saving and um, you know showing respect and and you know really important values and beliefs that have stuck with me. But it's been my professional networks along the mm. way. I've been able to really, um, yeah, really listen to people who uh, have already 
walk that path that I may be thinking about going on or just bouncing ideas off as well, which is very important. And, yeah, so they've been my main resources. But then, of course, you've got good old Google. So, you know, that answers everything. (laughs) So just picture this. I went through school with no Google. I did have those Encyclopedia Britannicas. Oh, and do you know that's not to go down a rabbit hole, but I'm going to go down a rabbit hole. Do you know how annoying it is that kids don't realise how easy they've got it at school now? Mm. Like, they actually have no idea. Like, I'm not, I mean, I didn't have Encyclopedia Britannica. I mean, we had that when I was at primary school, but we still had computers. But we, when like kids nowadays, primary school kids have got laptops in the classroom that they can use. And like, literally, almost all of human information ever is accessible. And they go, I can't find it. <laughs> yes, that's Are right. you serious? Like... Yep. Hey, I just want to go back to that one question, one thing that we should have known when you began your career. Yeah. I just I, – I did write it here on my notes here. And, yes, I'm referring to notes, everyone. So um, uh, make sure you keep your options open. Don't put all your eggs in one basket because if that doesn't work, that can be quite devastating. So look at two or three different things that you can possibly do that – interests you that's that's very very important advice that i would give anyone just yeah don't put all your eggs in one basket do you in referring to that do you say you have a plan b at all times oh absolutely yep c d e f g sometimes yep yep that's what you need to have because things can change in a heartbeat and and covid's taught us that you know lockdowns that are happening it's hard to believe that you know so many people across our country are in lockdown yeah. at the moment. So, yeah, things can change at a heartbeat. So you, you've got to have your contingency plans. It helps with your sanity. Yep. You've got to be able to, you know, be able to think, okay, if this happens, well, then I'm going to do this so yep. you don't get trapped. Awesome. That's that's super good advice. Are there any myths about, I guess, the, the, the training profession or or business development profession that you just want to say is a load of crap? (laughs) Well, unfortunately, there have been some dodgy operators uh, in the industry, like in any industry that uh, there's around. But um, I just want to put the nail on the head that, uh, yeah, there are some genuine people that within our industry that really do care about the professional development of its people. And there's a term called tick and flip. Well, I can guarantee you the time that it takes us to mark our students' assessments and stuff, that's no tick and flick. We spend hours and hours going through every student's work, making sure that we've got met all the assessment requirements. And, and yeah, so I just want to debunk that, uh, that myth that, yeah, yeah, it's all tick, tick, tick. She's not even going to read it. Well, that's just bullshit because I sign every single piece of paper. Mm-hmm. I would go through a pen every couple of days. <laughs> that's how much writing I get to do. I think that's almost that ties into um, teaching as well. A lot of people think that teachers don't look at kids' work or like, um, and I, I, I agree there are teachers that don't mark and you can tell because when you get them the, the following year after them being in that class or the couple of years after and they've ticked and flicked, as you said, um, certain skills and or they, th- they say that they're proficient at it, when it comes to doing like say your first math test or spelling test of the year to see where, what level they're at, they're not at level. They're still at like a year three or year four standard. So mm. that's a really interesting thing that that also ties in like the tick. I like that. The tick and flick method, I guess you'd call it. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> All right, let's get into these, these bulk of these questions now. Yep. What shit doesn't work, Di? Well, let me tell you, communication. When yep. that's broken down, no shit's going to happen. <laughs> yep, yep. And I really cannot understand 
the breakdown of communication that we're seeing at the moment between the federal, the state and the local governments. And that flows through to us and businesses as well. So we have to keep the lines of communication opening, good or bad news, whatever it is, it needs to be open to make sure that people understand what's happening and encouraging people to communicate effectively, like get on the phone. Speak to people in person. Don't just send a, a blanket text out or a blanket email and expecting results to happen. Mm. You know, don't ever forget that it's good to get that personal touch as well. So, yeah. Why do you think the communication is broken? Is it an ego thing? Is it a, a, a protective thing? Like what, why is there such miscommunication? Uh, I think it's a power thing. Yeah. yeah I think uh, we are controlled by the messages that are we, we are given. So therefore, people make decisions based on the information that they've been told. So I just think people need to do their own research and be, make sure that they stay informed so that they can make the right decisions for them, not be forced or pressured into something that they, the massive, masses have said. Yeah. So we just, you know, we just have to make sure that the lines of communication happen with your fellow staff members, with your boss, with, you know, your, your, your work colleagues, with, you know, councils, with state and federal departments. It's just got to be kept open. We all need to work together mm. to get through whatever we have to get through. 100%. I'm just going to touch on the, the text message thing. Why do you think people opt for sending a message rather than calling? Because it's easier. Um, it's non-confronting. Um, I'll give you the strong tip. If one of my staff members was sick, I would not accept a text message to say they weren't coming into work. I would much rather than put on that fakiest sick voice and ring me and tell me they're not coming in. Look, when you're sick, you're sick. You can't come into work, that's it, but you give me a call. Do not send me a text message to say you're not coming into work because yep. that may be the last text that they send. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome though. Like you it's because I, I, I even like maybe had a bit of a, a miscommunication with the emails, but I still came in like no matter what. Like, and I think the thing that's missing now, and I, I blame phones for this as well. Again, not to make this this episode about me, but kids don't know how to talk either. It's literally, and where where do you think all the bullying is happening now? It's not person to person. It's all Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, all that online stuff where you can't keep a track of it, no. and it's. Yeah, it's as as we handy have, as they are. This we yeah. have we have lost the art of conversation. Now I could sell ice to the Eskimos <laughs> with a mouthful of marbles, drinking a glass of water upside down. I just have the gift of the gab. Not everybody's like me. I get that, but have the courage to actually have that face to face conversation because it really is very important. And like younger generation today, they have been uh, exposed to so much more technology than us and it's and I'm not a parent I think being a parent's the toughest job in the world and I take my hat off to anyone who is a parent but a lot of parents just hand over iPads and phones and stuff and the kids go off and do things like we we used to play outside until dark we used to not be able to watch tv for a certain amount of times during the day we Mm. had to read books we had to do all that sort of stuff rather than just being addicted to playing um, games and on the computer and, and so on. So times have changed and there'll be people who will listen to this and say, you know, God, you're sounding really old, Di. But in the workplace, you have to communicate effectively with your co-workers yep. and your customers. That's a given. 100%. Every, every business relies on effective face-to-face or good 
um, electronic communications with uh, with their clients to ensure that they remain in business. Mm. So you've got to have that skill. You've got to actually be excited about being at work and, you know, putting on that brave face even if you are feeling pretty average. Yeah. Mm. I think the other thing, the last thing I'll touch on here is it's kind of weird that people almost get anxious when they send that text. Say, for example, if they send a text to you saying, I'm going to be sick, because then they have to wait for a reply. Mm -hmm. And in my head, the common sense is if I call... I get instant access to you and what you're going to say rather than wait for the reply. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense no. to me. Look, if, if somebody was running late uh, for an appointment or something, sure, a text message is fine um, because, you know, that things happen. You mm. get delayed and, and that sort of stuff. But for important things like that, no, absolutely a phone call is a definite. And a phone call from you, not your partner, not your mother, not your father, but you. Mm. You know, it's we've got to make sure that people take accountability for their actions. Sounding like a taskmaster. No, that's, I love it. I love, accountability is not common anymore anyway. Have you ever had a light bulb moment? And what I mean by that, was there just a time when things clicked and started to make sense? Absolutely. And I, when you gave me these questions, I thought long and hard about them obviously had a little bit extra time to think about them but when I was working for the business that I spent 22 years of my life with I really was very uh, career focused I wanted to go up the chain of command as quickly as possible uh, but the thing is is being a female in the industry was you were a bit of a minority as you went further up the chain of command for a number of reasons, I think. And um, so when I was actually chosen to complete a survey questionnaire as as assistant manager to work out what characteristics we needed for people to be successful within the organisation and they chose me to do it out of several hundreds of others, I, you know, I was like, uh-oh, what have I done wrong? But when it was explained to me as to why they called me in, it was, no, we need more people like you. Ooh. So that was like really on, on the right path. I need to keep doing what I'm doing. I need to be focused. I need to, you know, really push myself to achieve those goals. So, yeah, that was my light globe moment, realising I didn't have to be somebody different. I could be me, yep. which was – and we're talking about a time when I was really starting to – be comfortable and and um, I guess coming out of the closet at that time in a very conservative organisation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was a big risk for me to do that, but it ended up paying dividends. Massive. That was my light globe. That's awesome. That's really really cool. These are those news questions that I was I was discussing before we started. Is there something you've changed your mind on as you've gotten older? I've been thinking about this one since you asked me about it and I'm just, I've changed my mind on the fact that I think it's very important that people are who they are, not pretend, not play the game. Like don't do something that you wouldn't normally do. Once, uh, As you get older, you become more comfortable in your own skin and I just really think that you are who you are. We're not artificial intelligence yet. We are... Uh, <laughs> We are, what, a global entity of about what, 8 billion people. Yeah. We are all unique individuals. So be who you are. Mm. Don't hold back. I love that. 
I really, really like that. Has there ever been a time that you've been thankful that this pandemic happened? Uh, that's a very easy answer. No. And why is that? Because I think this pandemic has caused um, the most incredible anxiety, upheaval, panic, uncertainty that uh, is going, going to leave its scars for many years to come. And that does concern me, especially with the, the impact on people's uh, emotional well-being, um, people's financial well-being and our communities as well. So I'm very saddened by the fact that it's occurred, it's here, it's changed our life forever. It will never go back to what life was like before and that's the sad thing. So I'm not happy about this process at all. Um, but we have to live with it and and make good decisions what's best for us. I was going to say, I still see a lot of people thinking that um, it's going to go back to normal. And for those listening, I just did some air quotations there. Why do you think people want it to go back to normal and won't accept the change? Because I think that's it's just too hard for them. Like they just... They don't understand the severity of the situation that we're actually in. Life pre-2020 was pretty okay. You could travel anywhere in the world. You could buy anything you wanted. You could go to the supermarket and without doubt there would be toilet paper (laughs) on the shelves. But now it's completely upheaval. Um, You know, there there have been some positives. What I think it has... Uh, uh, done is it's allowed businesses to realise that we can work remotely and it can have flexible working options for people. That's probably the one positive I would Mm -hmm. say is about Mm -hmm. it, but that's only the one. Everything else has been really, really tough. Do you think it's going to get worse? It's a great question. I truly hope that it doesn't, but until we can get lots of people vaccinated or have some kind of cure we're going to be living this with for a little while you know and when i say a little while it's going to be a couple of years before things settle down yeah i i think people need to really buckle up i think i think it's going to still get a lot worse i think people aren't going to like to be told they have to be vaccinated to travel i think that's going to be a big one um and then just the upheaval of what will happen from that saying that you can't tell me what to put in my body is going to be big. But, yeah, that, that's my two cents. What's something you think everyone should try at least once? Oh, this was very easy for me. <laughs> I think every single person should have a crack at doing some public speaking because that's if you ask people what's their number one fear, most people will tell you it's either public speaking or going to the dentist. So two big scary things. I love public speaking. I would do it every single day. I really enjoy it. I love getting in front of a crowd and motivating them and and raising money for our community, doing whatever it takes to get the message across. So I love it that would love everybody to have a go at doing some public speaking. So they really step out of their comfort zone and um, go into their grown zone for a little bit, but getting through to the other end and realising, hey, that's not so bad. Do you have any tips for people to to do? Like, you know how there's the whole, oh, picture everyone in the audience naked or as their baby version of themselves. Do you have any tips or is it just go up and do it? Just I just go up and do it. It was quite, I, I have a, um, 
really a lot of friends that uh, that I've met through business, and one of them that I have the utmost respect for, and that's Tony Varinas from Metro Bakery and Cafe. She is an excellent speaker. She just takes you on a real journey and so on. And uh, a couple of months ago, her and I did a podcast to promote a scholarship for women in business and regional development. And she came here to my office and she had everything written word for word of what she wanted. As she is the consummate preparer. Like she just is so flurry. It's just amazing. Me, I just got on the microphone and I just winged it. And she goes, how do you do that? And I just said, it just comes. Yep. You know, but we just bounced off of each other and it was a really good, uh, a really good podcast. But yeah, it's public speaking. I think everyone should have a crack. Awesome. Can of worms question. Do you think boys and girls are equal? Can of worms. Of course we're equal. Absolutely. Why do you believe that? Why? Mm. Um, because no, nobody's more or less important than the other. Um, quality is very, it's a, social justice issue that's very um, true to my heart, the um, the importance of making sure that everyone understands that we're all equal helps people to blossom and grow. If people feel that they're not equal to somebody else, that can be it can be an inhibit, I'll get it right, inhibitor, or it can be a motivator. But um, look, there are advantages of both. There's an advantage of being a boy when you go out and buy a car. Yeah. Okay. I've bought four cars in my working life because I've been fortunate in having uh, company cars given to me, but I've purchased four personal cars, and each time it's been a terrible experience because of the fact that if you take a boy with you, that salesperson talks to the boy. Yep, yep. But I'm the one that's buying the car, so, you know, that's an advantage there. Uh, But if you're a girl, everything else. (laughs) <laughs> That's an advantage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, okay. What are there any disadvantages you think from being a female, or disadvantages for being a man? Look, I think there's too many stereotypes. Yep. All right. Um, and labels. Yep. I hate labels, and I really try try not to use them but that's the that's the disadvantage that people get boxed into having to be a certain way it's not as i mentioned before we're we're not artificial intelligence we all need to really thrive on being the individuals that we are to get uh, to ensure that we're happy and that we're at peace and and that we are you know kind and that we share and and you know help each other out whenever we can why do you think people get blanketed under that, that blanket then? Is it just... It's an easy option. It's just easy for people to process, you know. LGBTQI++. Why do we have that so many pluses? Like, why can't we just be people? That's a really good point. You know, it's it's just crazy. Is it so they... Is it Because I've, I've had a chat with someone else that identifies in that community. Is it to have an identity? Possibly. Because they don't feel that they have it, they need a voice. But you know, it should be the them, the person, the name of that person, rather than whether they uh, have a, a like they identify as gay, lesbian, trans, bi. You know, they should identify as, as their yeah. name, sort of thing. Yes, absolutely. Names yeah. first. What do you think most people are doing wrong in their day-to-day life? Worrying about what others are doing and thinking. What others are doing and thinking. Hmm. 
Can you elaborate on that a bit? Sure. I just think that, um, you know, people are always thinking about what other people have or don't have, you know. You just have to look at the... We've got a pretty good life here in Mount Gambia. The medium house price, it's gone up recently, of course, but it was pretty good compared mm. to the cities and stuff. But we've got massive big homes and, and um, you know, you fill them up with all the furniture and you've got to outdo everybody and stuff. So just, I don't know, I think it's just trying to uh, have more than what somebody else has and, you know, worrying about whether they can keep up with them. But have you heard of the, uh, the term a one-upper? A one-upper, I have. I think there's a lot of one-uppers here. And I, it blows my mind that people want to one-up. Like, I don't understand. It's, it's, I don't think there... There's a few things that are coming to mind, which is you only get jealous of people that you know are above you. Like you you've all, and there's another thing that says winners focus on winning and losers focus on winners. And I think that there's a narrative in this town that... And they just... And they share it. It's like... I don't get it. Mm. I just don't get it. Just yeah. be happy. Be. I think I may, maybe it's because I've done some overseas travel and I've seen what people don't have mm. and then what I've got and I appreciate that. I've got running water. I've got running hot water. I've got electricity. I've, I've got, got food. Food in your cupboard and fridge. I've got, yeah, It's and it's just, yeah, I just, I really don't understand why people need other people to know that they've got this going on in their life. I don't so get that's it. That, yeah, so that's that worrying about what people have and what they don't have. Mm. But look, I'm involved with a number of charities here in our local community and, and unfortunately the gap between the haves and the have-nots is getting very, very broad. And um, there are a lot of people here in Mount Gambia that are doing it very, very tough and there's a lot of people in Mount Gambia that have been very successful and have no idea how tough people are actually doing it because it's not in their circle. They don't see it. It's, do you think it would help it almost being like, not saying like this is this is where it's happening, but letting people, instead of telling people what they've got, it's like these people are having it hard. Mm-hmm. Do you think that would help, like yes. shining light on it? Yes, absolutely. I think, um, you know, we've got some amazing charities that are, communi- that, uh, and, are here in the community that are being stretched to the absolute max and, you know, if... I've always, uh, I always believe if you're in a position to be able to help somebody else, that you should be able to, you should do that mm-hmm. without question and without expecting anything in return. I, I love the saying, paying it forward. I love the fact that if you could, you know, pay, help somebody out, that if and when they, that person that you've helped out can do the same thing for somebody else, that they do it. Um, you know, we've just, uh, I'm chair of a, a, an incredible charity called Four Reasons Why, where we help people of disadvantage in in our community and it's only the only reason why we can do it is because of the generosity of people that give us money who live in this community so we're like we're paying it forward to those people as well so it's um yeah that's 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 really important and we need more of that we need more people prepared to give and share either their time their resources or you know their money that they can to help people have a hand up not a hand out out of all the things someone can give what would you say is the most important thing someone could give their time actually going and sitting and having a conversation with an elderly person in one of our um, aged care facilities that doesn't have an opportunity to have any family visit them due to 
numerous reasons. You know, actually giving your time, I think, is the utmost respect that you can show somebody. Have you heard the the saying that um, like like time is obviously the most expensive asset because not even the richest man in the world can buy time? Without doubt, my dad is eighty three. He's still working. <laughs> what? He's still working. I can't retire until he does. <laughs> he's still working. He's he's on reduced days, but he's still working three days a week. And he jokingly says to me, I'm not having a lunch break today. And I'll say, why is that, Dad? He says, no, I've got 25 hours in the day now to play with, not 24. He's just, yeah, he's a, he's a machine. <laughs> Do you, I'm going to actually touch on that. Do you see this generation, like the current generation, or even my generation, the work ethic isn't there. So the fact that your dad's 83 and still working, I cracked a massive smile because that's mind-blowing. But a lot of people now, I don't. they don't have that. It takes work to get anywhere. Do you think, where do you think that's come from? Uh, look, there are certainly people in any age group that does have those strong work ethic genes, I think, in them because it's something that they've been exposed to or that they've learned where I think we're coming into problems is where we're having families now that are third and fourth generations of not ever having a job, being able just to survive on absolute minimum. And that's that's the challenge there that we're facing. So um, I just hope that if people are motivated, they'll be able to show that work ethic. How do you think we break that cycle then? If this is the fourth gen coming through, what do we need to do to break it? Isn't the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome? 10 years is, that's all, sorry, 40 years would be is a long time. Mm. Well, a generation is a 15 year span, okay? There we go, like I'm not a math teacher. Yeah, no, that's cool. (laughs) That's all right. But generational learning is something that I actually um, teach my students, but... Yeah, look, it's learned behaviour so, um, and it's the system that, that, that is available to, for people to be able to live the way that they do. I just think it, it, it's, it's going to take a community effort to help one person to change that and break that cycle. Yep, yep. What do you think people are overlooking? And so what I mean by there is what are they not doing enough of day to day? They're not, uh, not looking after what's important to them. And what's, what's important to you? Uh, well, what's important to me is um, my beautiful wife and, um, you know, the lifestyle that we have together, uh, my incredible business here and my team, my family, and, you know, my community. I'll be the first person to jump up and, and organise a rally or raise some money for something that's happening here and in our community. But, um, yeah, my happiness is very important to me and because uh, if I'm happy, then everyone else is happy. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Because <laughs> I bring them along with me. <laughs> yeah, that's it, that's it. Do, when, I've got to ask, especially coming from, from your background and stuff like that, say when it comes business time, is all your energy on spinning the business plate Then once you leave this building and it's time to go home to family, it's spinning the family plate or do you think about business when you're at home? It's a great question. I don't. I have an office set up at home, but I never work from there unless I have to due to, like, say, for example, the COVID shutdowns that yep. we've had in the last 12 months. I deliberately, where possible, leave everything that I possibly can here at my workplace so I can concentrate at home. 
Now, having said that, I don't spend a lot of time at home because I'm off doing lots of charity things. Mm -hmm. I've mentioned one that I, but that's only one of three or four that I help out with. So yeah. my, my brain doesn't switch off very often. And uh, these days, of course, with your phones, your emails and everything can go through to that. So I guess I can address things. But I try very, very hard never to take uh, any work home with me because if I did, I would just would not switch off. But if I know if it's physically here, then I, that helps me to switch off. I might come to work at 6 o'clock or 6.30 in the morning just so I can get shit done Yeah. because, you know, I like to come here when I'm here on my own because I get more work done. Um, because I think I become a bit of a distraction to my team rather than them distracting me. But, uh, yeah, it's it's very, very important to be able to make that break. Otherwise, you you just can't function. You do need to refill your cup with stuff that you enjoy doing. 100%. How have you, like, so what, you know, saying you've, you've dropped it at home, there'd obviously be times when you think about it. What do you... Do you like write it down saying I've got to get this done and then continue to do what you were doing? Or Absolutely. Is, yep, that's, that's yep. what you do. I will send myself an email so that I'm on my phone so it's there or I'll write it down um, or, or a note or something like that. But I need to process it otherwise I'll worry about it. Yep. Yep. And then I'll lie and wake, <laughs> tossing and turning, which is never cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Who do you look up to? That was very easy. Um, absolutely number one is my mum and dad. Um, they uh, they have been incredible mentors and support for me throughout my entire life, um, and you know my professional mentors that I've mentioned, Tony, um, but Jeff Wells and and um, you know some other amazing business owners here in the community that um, that I'll go and have a bit of a chat to, and we just bounce ideas off of each other. But yeah, the professional mentors are really important as well. What, what, what about them do you admire or look up to them for? Their honesty, the fact that they've, um, they, they have empathy, they've, they've been through it themselves, they can, it's relatable for them. Um, you know, that's why I loved my time as Chair of Women in Business and Regional Development. I got to meet some amazing business women and, and men and it was all about making sure that we were a success and, you know, just sharing mm. and keeping it real. Because you could have the best idea, but if you don't have the systems and processes in place, well, then it's not going to be lasting either. So you've got to have the systems and the processes, and then you've got to have the money to pay for it. Tell me about your biggest setback. Yeah, my biggest setback. I guess uh, relationship breakdowns are a big setback. When, th when things don't work. Uh, you know, when you've you've been in love with somebody and you've shared so much and then you grow apart or something happens and you fall out of love and then then that's that breakdown and you can't even communicate with the person that you love so much, you know, not that long before. So that's um that's a big setback. And I guess the lesson that you le you learn from that is um you just don't ever take anything for granted. Yep. Yep. I, yeah. I 100% agree. Once you, especially gratitude, once you realize what you've got. Actually, I was having, oh, geez, I was having a chat with a, a guy today and we were talking about past relationships and there's almost a point where you think, we were talking about like the development of a bad relationship and it's, 
everything's awesome, like the honeymoon period, and then it starts to get bad. And then you go, oh, that's just normal. And then you almost regulate bad to being average. And then it continues to get bad. And you're like, oh, that's just a bad thing. Oh, that's just a bad thing. And it's almost like this this chasm of shit that you're falling into, but you don't realize it. Um, and it's not till, like, because you've got those, those rose-tinted glasses on, you're not seeing that it's getting worse or anything like that. And then you look back at it now and you're like, what the fuck was I thinking? It's a bit like the parody of a bald frog. What? I've never heard this. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Well, if, uh, if we could draw it, it would be great. But what I want you to do is I want you to envisage your happy life and a big happy smile and you're travelling along the road and then something happens that's, that is not good. It's, it's caused you some stress. And what happens is your stress level goes up a bit and then your body gets used to that stress level and then you manage it and then it goes up again and then something bad's happened and all of a sudden where you should be travelling versus where you now are is a big gap and what, um, you know, that's when you can get sick and and have a heart attack or a brain aneurysm and, you know, you really fall about, you have a breakdown, uh, mental, physical, emotion and stuff. So as humans, we need to consciously doing stuff all the time. When we are under stress, we need to do something to bring us back down, go to our favourite gym or do some exercise, some meditation, some yoga, consciously do something to bring ourselves back down again because that's what we need to do in regards in our environment. See, a frog changes its environment. It changes its internal temperature to match the external temperature. So imagine you've got... A frog, and not that I would condone you actually doing this, but you put a frog in a beaker, put fill it up with water, and then put a Bunsen burner underneath it, and the, watch the water boil. And what's actually happening is the frog's internal temperature is being matched to the boiling water as it gets hotter and hotter, to the point it doesn't jump out of the beaker; it actually explodes. So that's the parody of a bald frog. That's what can happens to us as humans. If we don't look after ourselves mentally, physically, emotionally, um, spiritually. Oh, that's really good. Thanks for sharing that. I really like that. What excites you? I love changing people's lives. <laughs> How excited <laughs> we? It's I true. Do. I love it. I love, I love people coming in, not looking me in the eye or really nervous or anything like that, and then spending some time together, me getting to know them as the individual that they are, and then just helping them to identify what makes them who they are and fire them up so that they believe they can do whatever they want to do. This is, I mean, this is going to be the biggest ballpark figure ever, but... How many people's lives do you honestly think you've changed? Within this business? Yep. Not including any of my social, I mean, community we'll just We'll take it from business and then go to community. Okay. So within my business, over the last 13 years, six and a half thousand people. And in total, everyone? Going. How long's a piece of string? You know, I just, it would be tens of thousands of people that we've, either myself directly or within groups that I've worked with, we've been able to change people's lives. I've got a personal mission to raise $1 million for the city of Mount Gambia um, with the charities that I'm involved in. Now, that's not me personally, but me being involved with different charities where we can raise money that stays here locally. And at the moment, I'm sitting on about 800 k so... Once I get to a million, then I'm going to have to set myself another KPI. That's crazy. 
Man, you're fucking so good. <laughs> <laughs> what has kept you up at night? Worrying about cash flow. Back to cash. Yep. Why why is there this why is cash king? Cash is king. If you don't have money, you don't have anything. Like in business, you have to have that because if I don't have money coming in, how do I keep my staff? Mm-hmm. So when uh, when COVID hit, and that was one of the great things that the um, the, the Liberal Federal Government did last year was they really were very smart in recognising that people needed help and, uh, you know, JobKeeper did what it was designed to do. It kept my staff. The State Government of South Australia, they gave the cash bonuses as well. That helped me pay my rent so my landlord didn't miss out. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, uh, I, I'm not a big thing on being in debt. Yeah. Um, it's important that I, um, you know, stay ahead and that um that you know that i don't have massive burden behind me and that you know we can grow and reinvest within the business i I, i've got some great expansion plans that are going to be that we'll be going to be announcing in the next couple of months but that's because we've been able to really be smart with our money and not have to pay back massive amounts of loans and everything like that so cash really really is king i finished this sentence off money buys it doesn't buy your health and it doesn't buy happiness what does it buy I I have an answer food (laughs) donuts alcohol (laughs) KFC (laughs) yeah Um, money money keeps the world going round Mm. but it, it money can be the root of a lot of evil as well my answer for it is money buys options Mm. I would agree with that, yep. What's an unpopular opinion that you have? I follow Carlton Football Club. Unpopular, mate. <laughs> Are you a Carlton boy? No, I'm a Melbourne. Melbourne. Oh, yeah, go to D's, mate. Yeah, you're on the right train at the moment. <laughs> yeah, no. finally. Yeah, an unpopular. Uh, hmm. Does it have to be a present? Unpopular opinion? This is your episode, Di. My episode, um, an unpopular opinion. I really can't think of anything there. I'll come back to that one. Yep, that's cool. That's cool. You can edit it. What book are you reading? Do you read first? I I hate reading with a passion. <laughs> I love podcasts. Yep. Okay. What okay. are you listening to, or what do you listen to? I love Simon Sinek. He is my go-to man. Never heard of him. Tell me about him. He is an inspiration. He is a American who used to travel the world. Now he has to do everything um, uh, by, uh, you know, TED Talks or or, um, he's very big on Insta. But he is a very forward-thinking guy that unpacks situations and just turns it into really positive stuff. I love him. He's very inspirational. Um, I aspire to be like him. What's one? Th- what, is, there, is there one thing that you can take or share with us now that you've, you've taken from him that you could, you know, like what's what's his thing that you know how there's like a thing? Yeah, his thing is making sure people understand their why. Yep, yep. What's your why? My why is to change people's lives. Love it, love it. What do you genuinely not understand? Fractions. Fractions are easy. 
says you that was the mascara. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I just did. I should have paid more attention to maths when I was at high school because I just thought at high school I had a great maths teacher, but I just couldn't get fractions. And I thought, I'm never, ever, ever going to use fractions again. So I switched off, but boy, that came back to bite me when <laughs> a number of times. So fractions, yeah, it's not something that I, uh, it doesn't float my boat. I've got to ask, do you know that fractions, percentages and decimals are all interlinked? Yes. But you just can't get fractions? No. <laughs> the easy ones, the normal fractions, no problems, third, a half, a mm, quarter and mm. all that, but it's those improper fractions, yeah, those ones that turn you upside down. That's why they're improper. That's why they're <laughs> improper. <laughs> all right, last deep question here. What was your, sorry, when was your biggest loss? Hmm. The death of my partner 21 years ago, it, uh, it changed my life. Um, it stopped me from being a workaholic. I work a lot of hours now, but nothing compared to what I was doing 21 years ago. And, um, yeah, you never really get over the grief of losing somebody so quickly. She died within 15 weeks of being diagnosed with cancer. She was my best friend um, and, yeah, it just completely rocked my world. Um, it took me oh, – you never really get over it, as I said. You just learn how to live with it a little bit better each day. It's actually coming up um, her memorial on the 19th of July, so um, I'll go and sit with her at the cemetery and – I'll take some Jim Beam out there because that was her chosen. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but that was um, just watching somebody die so quickly for a disease that just ravaged her body was just heartbreaking. Yeah. It was, um, yeah. Is that, I guess, your first real, um, what's the word I'm looking for? experience realising what mortality is? Yeah. Look, I lost my grandparents at an early age when we were younger um, and, you know, you don't really understand it back when you're younger. But, yeah, um, when, uh, you know, we're talking I was in my mid-30s when this happened and, uh, yeah, it was uh, – you could really see it and it um, it really changes you and – I know that what I was able to help my partner do in her final weeks and, and days of life was something that she wanted to do. So I know that she did what she, what she wanted and that's, that's what gives me peace. Um, I was able to um, have some of her ashes with me and I put them in a beautiful um, heart-shaped sterling silver box that I about this big I'm just showing you and I just had it in my pocket wherever I went and carried her around with me for um for quite some time and um you know if I took you to my house now you would see her ashes sitting on my speaker and I look at her every day I'm very happily married with uh, with my wife Trish but you know my partner at the time then played a very big part in my life and um you know I truly think of her every single day and miss her yeah and I often wonder where my life would be if we were still a, a partnership 
and um, yeah, it's it's cancer is a very very cruel thing, and I'm just so relieved that voluntary assisted dying is now passed the legislation yeah. in South Australia. So that that is a very important cause for me, and I'm just so glad that we've had some incredible, credibly focused people, um, members of our community, but also our politicians, Kai and Ma for one, who just, you know, made sure it got through. So, yeah, very important. Thank you for sharing that, Di. Let's make it a bit more upbeat. What's the best compliment you've ever received? Well, it goes from one side to the other, doesn't it? But it does. um, I think uh, I get given compliments all the time and it really feeds my ego and I love it. (laughs) (laughs) But I think one of the ones that um, really is quite profound is when you've got somebody that sits back and said, I really wish you were my teacher at high school because I would have paid more attention at school if I did and where would my life be now, you know. And you sit back and you think, wow, that's a connection there, isn't it, you know. And I just say, well, it's not too late. Let's make every, every step count. Would you ever be a teacher, like a school teacher? Um, no. Reason being is because our current schooling system, I think, is not set up for successful teachers. It's, um, I, I think I mentioned being a parent would be the toughest job in the world, but I think teachers would be the next toughest because, um, you know, having a group of young people up to 30 at varying different learning levels all in the same room, I'm an experienced facilitator. I know how to control a crowd, but far out. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Teachers uh, teachers are a very, very important part of um, of our community and I take my hat off to them for the job that they do, but they they need smaller classes and they need more resources to make sure that we get it right. I think we need to be thinking about what the, the schools are doing over in the Scandinavian countries where you can really have an impact. Um, I just think at the moment you would be fighting against the tide and it's not cool. I, I'm a qualified trainer and assessor, facilitator of learning. Some people may seem call me a teacher as well, but I don't have a teaching degree, but I'm teaching all the time. Did you know I'm a teacher? No. I'm a Japanese teacher. Wow. Kudos. <laughs> I hate it. Yeah. Be- for the reasons you've just mentioned. Right. I I also hate it because oh, there's a couple of reasons. The main one is I understand my role now as a Japanese teacher is I'm a babysitter. Honestly, like there's only been two kids' life that I've affected that Japanese has then been taken and actually something's happened with the Japanese. When I was in the classroom, I did enjoy it much more. However, the amount of blame you get for a kid not understanding something from parents is actually ruthless. Mm. So I deal, my sphere is mainly adult learning. So I'm working with people that are choosing to do some professional development Mm. or they have been sent to me um, as a result of them being registered with the Job Active Provider, or they are soon to be uh, soon to be released, pre-release prisoners, or corporate groups that just want a big dose of die. So the diversity that I get to work with is just incredible. But I take a lot of ownership on the fact, and it's not my saying, but it's one of my favourites. You know how aces in their places is something that I use with you, and you love it. 
I also live by if the learner hasn't learned, the trainer hasn't taught. Yep. All right, so we need to make sure that we change our teaching methods to suit the learner's needs, not the other way around. That's 100%. 100%. Do you find it strange that, uh, like say for example, the thing that really annoys me about the education system at the moment is that there's so much content that needs to be delivered in X amount of time and there's only one way to assess that. Like, for example, when a student does a math test or even a Japanese test, there's literally no time to go back and reassess because they have to get something else taught. How do you think we can fix that problem? Well, we need to have um, multiple assessment options, options like what we do in the adult sphere, in the vocation, education and training sphere, where we are observing people completing tasks, we're following up with verbal questions, written questions, third-party reports, simulated activities, projects, models, all that kind of stuff. We need to broaden our assessment strategies with children, with young people. Are you a fan of the uh, standardised testing? Uh, no. Is that because we're making a, a student fit in a box and they have to know X, Y, Z, otherwise they're wrong? Yes. Very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything... Well, we're coming to the end now, Di. Mm. This is absolutely flying off. Oh, actually, we've got that previous question. Um, oh, what was it? You put a little mark yeah. next to it. What was an, an unpopular opinion? Yeah. Um, yes. Still struggling with that one, which That's is right. really disappointing. An unpopular opinion. Um, I'll stand by my uh, <laughs> support for the Carlton Football Club. I've supported them <laughs> since I was five, and maybe one day soon they'll get on the gravy train and get back into the um, into the premiership circles. So, yeah. Is so, there anything you wanted me to ask you, but I didn't? I'm surprised you didn't ask me about me coming out. Go stepping, for it. Stepping out of the closet. Tell me about it. I, I left a lie. You lived a lie. I lived a lie for many years, many, many years. Um, Because back then, um, we're talking, um, you know, late 70s, early 80s, um, Mount Gambia was a very conservative, you get married, you you know, finish high school, you find a boyfriend, you get married, you have a house, a white picket fence, dog, kids Mm -hmm. and so on. And I just didn't fit that mould. So I, um, I, I, I escaped from Mount Gambia to enable myself to be who I was because it um, really was too hard pretending to be somebody that I wasn't. And so, yeah, living a life of seven years um, was interesting because, um, yeah, there were the physical signs that impacted me as well of living that lie and when I actually came out of the closet with my family um, I no longer had those physical signs of of living that lie so that was a massive step forward for me moving back to Mount Gambia back in 2003 we had come a little way but not far enough so I it was really hard to get work back down here when I first moved back number of reasons I scared people because I was you know an extrovert's extrovert Um, Mm. and yes oh my god you're an out there lesbian as well so uh, I just I just 
really wanted to help prove that I, I was me and not have that label. Um, I was very, one of my proudest achievements was to organise the Marriage Equality March that we did in 2016 in preparation for the plebiscite that we had in uh, 2017 for marriage equality in Australia. So that was one of my highlights there. But I remember organising that and, um, you know, having so much community support and, and helping about so many people wanting to help out and, you know, people thinking that that plebiscite was just a waste of time but, and money. But I'm glad it happened because, uh, you know, being treated differently based because being treated differently because of who you love is not okay. Mm. And uh, so I'm very pleased that I was able to have a bit of an impact on that. And uh, you know, being a strong advocate for um, minority groups, whether it's from the LGBT to LBGQ to I see there's too many letters plus, to plus. say <laughs> plus 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 or you know, from disengaged members of our community or people that um, that have are uh, experiencing hardship or that they just don't believe that they have a voice. Um, social justice issues are exactly what what is important to me and I'll strive to uh, to be that voice for them and, uh, you know, let them be heard through through me. Do you know why I... I mean, this, I've just, this has come to mind now, but do you know why I don't reckon I asked you about that? Why? Because I look at you as die end. Like you said before, I look for you as your name. Thank you. Is there anything you want to ask me? Yes. Oh, God. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember your training? Uh, no. no. <laughs> what do you hope to achieve by completing these podcasts? I know you've spoken to some other amazing people, but what, what's, what's your why? Why are you doing this? So initially, I think it's, it's developing and changing the more people and perspectives of life and just experiences outcomes beliefs the more i do the more it's changed so originally it was just to get like this audio file of just cool people in this town that i can listen to at any stage be like oh they did this or they've listened and like even now i listen to my episodes over like that was fucking cool (laughs) but now it's literally to like the people in this town if i I've, i've said this numerous times but if i've learned anything from just talking to say the 25 30 people that i've talked so far do not judge a book by its cover and you have no idea what someone's been through or is going through so don't be a piece of shit to them yeah spot on i like last night was insane on wednesday it was just insane it's just and it's in this town like this is our town like yeah there's what 35,000 people in the surrounding areas combined and this is like the second biggest what, town in South Australia. Imagine Adelaide. Mm-hmm. But the fact that this town is so tight-knit and we communicate like this, it's it's just unreal that people have been through what they've been through and they're still going. Yeah. And, look, I'm just so grateful that we were able to uh, postpone for a couple of weeks because when we had our original appointment, I just was not in the right headspace. And for me to allow to show you my vulnerability and be honest with you was a massive step forward because it's always about putting this big face up that hey yeah go and see Di she's got all the answers but I just was in a really bad spot and I just couldn't do this conversation justice so I'm just grateful for you um, for allowing me to still do it but um, yeah do it when Di's Di not when she's uh, not when she's not in the right headspace. 
I think that's the other thing I was going to say, touching on why I've done this, is the term ego is thrown around a lot. And I think, especially in the way I conduct this, I hope you haven't felt that I've judged you on anything. Not at all. And when people are able to share their life story and not feel like someone, there's eyes piercing at everything they say, it does, not to say it makes my ego feel good, but if you can share and get out like your deepest, darkest secret or something that's just has been eating at you for years and you can just share that with someone, it's almost this soothing calmness that no matter what I say, nothing's actually going to happen when they hear that. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, not to say that I'm a counselor or anything, I'm not tuning myself up like that, but just the way people have said, like even like last night after I talked to the person I did, like half an hour is like, that was actually really cool. I enjoyed that. Yeah, look, it's, it's, I'm really glad that you're doing it because it's great for people to have a, a forum to be able to open up and, and, you know, share and then you do what you want to do with it. But behind every successful person is generally another person that's in there and I would thus just like to, uh, I guess, acknowledge the incredible support that Trish, uh, my wife and partner of 14 years has given me I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I didn't have her uh, right by my side and every single day she tells me that I'm amazing every single day she tells me that I'm sexy Um, you know every single day she tells me how much she loves me and how much she cherishes our lives together of course I reciprocate but yeah having that person in my life uh, has really helped me to be the success that I have been. And, um, yeah, I just uh, truly am so grateful that our paths have crossed. And, um, you know, I look forward to growing very old with her. That's awesome. That's really cool. All right, Di, let's, let's sum it up. If there was a billboard that had your name signed down the bottom, what would the billboard say? So what's the best tip that you know? Be a funnel. Share your knowledge. Do you want to, I'd love for you to elaborate. This is this is if you're listening now and you want some nuggets and gems, you're about to spill it. Let's go. Um, well, I believe that if you learn something, you have an obligation to share that with somebody else. Knowledge is power. Mm. If we are all relaxed and not all bitter and twisted about keeping secrets and stuff, this would be an even better place. So be a funnel, share your knowledge, and my one takeaway from uh, from hopefully for the audience who has chosen to listen to this is be yourself, you do matter, and make every contact count. That was awesome. I'm going to leave it there. Thank you so much for coming on, Di. It's been an absolute pleasure. We've got to keep in contact. You're, you're a gem, and I, I can't not have you in my life now, so... <laughs> For those who are listening, um, if you've liked this episode, send us a screenshot. It's been working really well lately. Um, also, if there's anyone else that you'd like me to try and get on the show, send me a DM. Um, it's been really, really successful. Um, and there's some really big, not, not big names, but names that people have been wanting to hear coming very, very soon. But other than that, Di, thank you for coming on. Thanks, mate. Been a pleasure.